Open your Bibles now for the reading of the scripture that we'll be considering this morning. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Joe Johnson, of course, is uh, filling in and helping us out, and he'll be preaching next week. And you may remember that he said he's going to be preaching on, uh, from the book of Genesis. And uh, he'll be back doing that again uh, next Lord's Day, Lord willing. And uh, I'm going to continue uh, one last time after uh, uh, we come back when I'm here in two weeks and con conclude our study of Psalm 139. And then, Lord willing, uh, we're going to take a look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. So you may want to be reading ahead on that. Psalm 139, uh, we're going to be examining verses 13 through 18, but let's uh, go back to the beginning and catch the flow of this and maybe refresh our memory some too. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. 
We've seen that Psalm 139 is divided into four parts, really four stanzas, because it is a kind of song that David had written. And each section is six verses long. We've looked at the first two of those, and we come today to the third uh, of these four sections. In this psalm, we see the fusion of two absolutely critical truths that every Christian needs to understand and to embrace. One of those is the awesome greatness of God. Now you've heard me say sometimes probably that I believe we throw around that word awesome all too loosely. You know, we, we go to the bakery and get a fresh loaf of bread and somebody asks us how it is. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're speaking highly of that bread. But nothing is awesome in the ultimate sense, of course, but God. And the psalmist here is, is stretching his mind, as it were, trying to, to lay out and, and consider the different aspects of the greatness of God. We've seen some of that already. And so that's one of the critical truths. And the other is the powerful impact it has on a believer's life. David doesn't just give us here a, a little mini theological course on the nature of God. He does tell us a lot about the nature of God in this psalm. The whole scriptures, of course, do. But in this psalm, he he weds this, or if I said earlier, the way I said it was there's a fusion of taking these great truths of God and then exploring the significance and the implications of that for the individual who's thinking through those things. That's what you and I are supposed to do. When we read our Bibles or when we're just simply thinking or meditating on God, which is the greatest thing we could probably ever use our minds for, isn't it? No probably to it. When we do that, we are growing in our faith. We're growing in our ability to live out the greatness of God in our everyday lives. So David's written here of God's omniscience in the first six verses. He's written of God's omnipresence in the second uh, six verses. And now there's a kind of combination of those which I think in the big sense, we could say he's writing of God's omnipotence, his power, along with the first two. The omniscience and the omnipresence kind of come together here, focusing on the omnipotence of God in verses 13 through 18. In two verses there, David tells us, and I, I think this is the first thing we ought to consider, in the fact that your life, let's, let's make this very personal today, because David did, your life, my life, was created by God. Now that's elementary for many Christians. Of course my life was created by God. But there was a time when you had to come to that understanding. And there may be some of us here today that are still trying to process that. Plus, it's always good to be reminded of this. Where did my life come from? 
I understand that when you ask two children, <clears throat> ask children the question, uh, who made you? You know the answer they might give, mommy and daddy. But there's more to it than that. God is behind everything because he's God. And he has created us individually and personally. The fact of creation is simply stated here. Again, look at verse 13. For you, referring to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God created the first man, Adam, then the first woman, Eve. That was a direct act of creation where there was no mother involved. There couldn't have been. But ever since then, God is doing the same thing, but he's doing it through the womb, the mother. And so there's a difference, and yet there's a similarity between the first people that were created and those who are now being created by God. God formed Adam from the dust. And since then, he's formed every human being from the womb. Children learn this very early, at least in Presbyterian circles, in the child's catechism. Who made you? Who knows the answer to that? Right. God. One word answer. Who made you? God. And that's what the Bible tells us. We read earlier and sang Psalm 100 verse 3. Psalm 100 verse 3. We're told to come into God's presence and worship him. For he made us. He made us. Psalm 100 verse 3 tells us that. But notice how he made us. I'm a, I tried to do a lot of reading and studying on this, and of course I've been thinking on this for all my life, more or less. And I'm, I, I know I'll never fully grasp the wonder and the amazement of what this says. It is absolutely incredible to me. In fact, some of you uh, would appreciate the fact that uh, David uses some very interesting terms here to describe how he was formed in the womb. Knitting and weaving. <laughs> knitting and weaving. Maybe some of you who are younger don't know much about knitting and weaving, but that used to be a pretty common thing. Uh, all kinds of handwork, you know, needlepoint. Uh, all these intricate ins and outs of strips of, of thread in various forms, even to the, uh, from knitting to the weaving of uh, a large item of thread using a loom, which is the way it was done in David's time. And when that, that uh, huge cloth, whether it's going to be used for a, 
covering for a bed or whatever the purpose was, when that was being formed on the loom, if you were just looking underneath, it would just seem like, boy, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to do this because everything's going all over the place, all the different colors of threads, and they don't make any sense at all. But if you look from the top, it's all done in perfectly beautiful shapes and forms, and uh, it's, it makes sense. That's kind of the way God works with us. He's forming us in the womb like a, a, a woman would be knitting. Men do this some too, I'm told. And, and if uh, some kind of weaving is taking place, and that still happens, of course, you can do a, a weave a basket. That's the expressions that David is, comes up with <laughs> under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe the formation of an unborn child in the womb. Yeah, we could give a scientific explanation. You know, at so many weeks, this development is taking place when you detect a heartbeat and so on. Uh, as the, the uh, embryo the womb, in the womb gets more and more complex. But all of that is just should evoke a sense of fascination and amazement in us that God is doing that. And the significance of that is in many ways is the fact that God made you the way he wanted you to be. The way he wanted you to be. And then today, David didn't have this. He didn't need it actually to say what he does. But today, of course, we've got ultrasound, sonograms, 3D, 4D technology, where I've seen a picture of this in Focus of the Family one time many years ago, they showed a picture of the early version of, I think it's 4D technology, and it looked almost like a real picture, I mean, a photograph, uh, not just an outline, but a photograph of the face of the baby, the fingernails, the hands, the arms. And in one commercial that was showing that, uh, the song was being sung, the first time I ever, ever I saw your face. We are able to peek in through that technology, but David already understood what was going on. And he's describing it here, 3,000 years earlier. Now, Shakespeare, gotta throw in a quote from Shakespeare, in uh, one of his plays, Hamlet, there's a line there where he says, what a piece of work is man. I, I've heard that saying, and of course, sometimes we say, you're a real piece of work. And I was very surprised when I read, oh, that came from Shakespeare. Not some contemporary poet. What a piece of work is man. And that really is true from the Christian perspective when it comes to God's forming us physically as well as everything else about us while we are still unborn and, of course, beyond that. 
we need to recognize that the Bible places great value on human life. And how that value begins, how that life begins at the moment of conception. There's really little doubt uh, factually, scientifically, medically, certainly biblically, that this is the case. And because life begins at conception, the fetus in the womb is a human being, a person. There's no huge change when the baby leaves the womb and comes out into the world. It's the same child. Nothing magical takes place, although the birth mother might think it seemed pretty magical to me. There's a sense in which it does to the dad as well. But the idea here that we've got to hold on to if we call ourselves biblical Christians is that this child in the womb, unborn still, but it is a human being. It is a he or a she, not really an it. Not just a piece of tissue. It goes without saying that this reality has tremendous implications for one, for one of the most pressing issues of our day, and that is abortion. All human life must be protected because those human beings in the womb are made in the image of God and they are created by God ultimately. regardless of the condition of those unborn children. Sometimes uh, it may be discovered that the child has some serious uh, deficiency or health issue. That does not lessen in any sense the value of that unborn child. That unborn child is still made in the image of God and God still has a purpose for that child whatever it may be, however long that child might live. The sovereignty of God enters into this. God has ownership of our existence and our substance, our, what we're made of. It's all made ultimately because of God. You are the result of his divine production. He's made you in a unique way also. I don't know what the physical characteristics of David was, but it, in a sense it doesn't matter. There's no reason for us to say, even though we may struggle with it, my nose is too short and I'm too tall or whatever we don't like about our physical appearance. We are what God made us and that's what he wants us to be. Do not get so focused on the people around you. Be focused on the God who made you. And he made you the way he wants you to be. There are no defects with God's work. So if, <clears throat> if you struggle with that, come back to this psalm. Second thing I want you to notice here is your life is fully known by God. <coughs> Your life is fully known by God. In verses 16 through 18, we see that uh, given to us. 
<clears throat> this is really a, a further expansion of what we saw in the first verse, first six verses, I should say, of this psalm, where it's telling us that God knows everything about us. Now, what does he tell us here? One of the things it tells us is that God saw us in the womb. Look at those verses. <clears throat> Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. By the way, the Hebrew word here is fetus. Your eyes saw my fetus, my unborn substance. God doesn't need sonograms and ultrasounds to see what we cannot see. He sees in the dark. We saw that earlier in, in this first section. Remember where he said, uh, verses 11 and 12, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. God saw you in the womb. And it also tells us here that he planned our lives. He planned our lives. Verse, the second half of verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now think about that. God has a book. Not literally perhaps, but in essence, he has a book. He has a story that he's going to have told about us. A story that he is going to tell first. Because he has ordained every day of our lives. Before we even come into this world. And if you believe what the scriptures tell us, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, as Ephesians 1 verse 11 tells us, then you can see, well, if God is, is behind everything that happens, and that would certainly be sensible, if God is truly God, he's behind everything in one way or another, whether we understand it or not, every one of your days is planned out. Now, I've got a planner, and I plan out stuff, but it doesn't always work the way I plan it, nor does yours. All kinds of things happen that, well, I wasn't expecting. But God's never surprised. God knows exactly what's coming. He knows exactly what's coming every day for us. And that should really give us assurance and, and confidence because God's in control. He's in charge. And it will always be good in the end. I love what uh, Jeremiah learned when God called him to be a prophet. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, this is a great, a great verse to remember when you're thinking about issues related to an unborn child. Verse 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
Now, yes, that's Jeremiah's call, but the first half of that, most of that verse can be applied to anybody. Before I formed you, before God formed me in the womb. And notice it says God was doing that. I formed you in the womb. Same thing that David's saying in Psalm 139. Before you were born, God had his plan for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, was not having it at first. Oh, no, I'm not going to be a prophet. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> and he was a mighty prophet and a faithful prophet. Scripture teaches that God ordained everything that comes to pass. And in that, we don't need to be afraid of that because verse 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18 tells us that he cares about it all. How precious to me are your thoughts. You could, David could have said, Lord, this scares me to death, and I wish you wouldn't do this. As if he could control it. I don't like it. No, David understands the, the beauty, the loveliness of this. Your thoughts towards me, they are precious, he says. And then he mentions how many thoughts that might entail. How many thoughts do you think God has about you? Well, here's the answer. How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. You know, go down, when you go down to the beach, there's a lot of sand. Take a handful of sand, put it on a hard surface like a table or a piece of cardboard, and separate out one grain of that sand. Now, how many of those do you think line the beaches of all our oceans and seas? What does he say? They're more than the sand. Verse 17 says they're vast. Those are the number of God's thoughts towards us. He's constantly thinking about us. You know how we do that? We say sometimes, oh, our thoughts are with you. Well, God's thoughts are with us. But what about this one? I think about you all the time. Now, two people who love each other, they may tell each other that. I think about you all the time. <laughs> well, that's even more to the point of what God does with us. He thinks about us all the time because he is our creator, because he loves us. This truth of God creating us in the womb is both humbling and encouraging, or should be. Now, lastly, notice uh, briefly here, your life should therefore bring praise to God. Your life should therefore, in the light of what we've seen here, it should bring praise to God. And that's what David does in verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We should praise God because our life does come from him. At the end of Romans 11, the Apostle Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him. Did you catch that? 
From him all things. All things are from him, which means you and me as a part of that. All things are from God ultimately. That's, if we are true Christians, we should be theocentric Christians. God-centered Christians. We should, it's like the, the hub of a wheel. It, everything should radiate out from that. The knowledge of God and the implications of that for life. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Derek Kidner, a, a fine commentator in the Old Testament, <laughs> said this could, could be translated, I am awesomely wonderful. Now, don't misunderstand that. A, a person that says that today is probably a very man-centered, self-centered person. I am awesomely wonderful. But what David is saying here, using Kidner's translation, possible translation, what you made, God, means that I am awesomely wonderful because it is your, I am your creation. I'm not just the result of random forces of nature. I'm not an accident. I'm not just a thing. I'm not just a living creature filling up some space for a while and then I'm gone. That is not the Christian view of a human being. Every person, Christian or not, every person is made in the image of God and has dignity and should be treated as such. And then he says, he, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful your works. He, he broadens it out. You know, creation of people is wonderful, but all your works are wonderful. There are a number of times in the Psalms where this phrase is found, God's wonderful works. Not too far from where we are right now. I'll just give you one example. There are many. Psalm 145, verse 5. <clears throat> on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Now, David wrote that too. And that's what we've been talking about. We need to meditate on these things. When you read something, go across something in your Bible, it talks about some aspect of the greatness of God. Take some time to unravel that as much as you can and, and just think about that and what it means for you. So how can we praise him? David says, I'm going to praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, let me just suggest the, these things and all I'm going to do is suggest them and then we'll be through. Tell him, when you praise him, tell him of your greatness. Praise him yourself like David did. Give praise to God. When you come together here and sing, we're praising God, especially our first hymn. We, we try to pick out hymns at the beginning that focus on the character of God and our praising of God. And we should do that in all our lives. We were created to give glory to God God has made us for that purpose. So live for him. Not only praise him, but live for him. Glorify him in all of your life. 
You are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that you should therefore praise God. That you should therefore be a light. That you should glorify God in your life. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And then lastly, just take good care of what God has made. Take good care of what God has made. If God made you, take good care of yourself. Take good care of your body, your mind, everything about you. Be a good steward of this body, this life that God has given you. And physically, that would mean nutrition and sleep and proper activity and exercise. It would mean don't abuse your body through drugs or alcohol, it would mean don't do extreme and unnecessary things to your body. Here's two things I never would have heard of a few years ago, talking about doing things unnecessary to your body. Gender-altering surgery. Now, it doesn't take a, you know, a genius to figure out that that's not a good idea. Not a good idea. But in our rebellion against God, people want to defy God. They want to do what David didn't do. They want to say, I don't like you the way you made me. I'm opposed to the way you made me. I am different from what you say I am, and I'm going to do something about it. Gender-altering surgery or cutting if you don't know what that means, good. Or here's a, <clears throat> what I just heard about, leg lengthening surgery. Have you seen that? Men want to be taller. So they go to this very difficult surgery and recovery and change to make their legs longer. Ugh. I just, I don't even want to go there. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, how should we treat our bodies? I'll close with this and a couple of other words. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, what we're going to be thinking about now, bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Did you ever think of the fact that Jesus was a fetus? Of course he was. Jesus brought praise and glory to God the Father with his body. He was obedient to the Father's will all the way to the cross. He allowed his body to be tortured and executed because it was the Father's will for him to do that for our sakes. To lay down his life for us so that we would not have to pay the penalty of sin ourselves. 
through Christ, we can understand our true nature as human beings and bring glory to God with our lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray now for you to help us take these words, think on these words, consider that they are true words because they come from you, not from man, and they are wise words. Lord, they keep us from, from having terrible thoughts about ourselves or doing harmful things to ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that we would rejoice in who we are, not in our sinful condition, but in the fact that you made us in your image, that we belong to you, that you made us physically as we are, emotionally as we are. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to accept that and work through that in a Christ-honoring way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.